This morning, I had the opportunity to really focus in on God's love for us. And I appreciate all of the encouraging words about that lesson. It was an intense lesson to both give and probably, from what I've heard, to listen to. But I want you to understand that tonight we're going to talk about just the exact opposite. I want you to understand that God loves you with every fiber of his being. But it's just as true that Satan hates you with every fiber of his being. Let me make this perfectly clear. Satan absolutely deplores you. He hates, if I can use that old saying, he hates not only your guts, he hates your face, he hates your heart, he hates your soul, he hates your body, he hates your spouse, he hates your kids, he hates your grandchildren, he hates your friends and your neighbors, he hates your hopes, he, ho he hates your dreams, he hates your joys, he hates everything about you, period. Satan doesn't just hate everything about you, he deplores it. Satan abhors you. He cannot stand you. He detests and despises you personally. Not talking to the whole congregation, I'm talking to you as an individual. Why? Well, first off, is because we're made in the image of God and he hates God. Secondly, Satan knows what heaven is like, and he and his servants know they ain't going. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 8, would you please? Matthew chapter 8. Satan hates you because he knows what heaven is like, and he and his servants know their end, and it will be nowhere near heaven. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 and 9. When he, that is Jesus, had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They know what's coming for them. And they know that they have no hope of heaven whatsoever, but they loathe you and the fact that you, as a sinner who has been deceived by them and was under their spell and subject to the fear of death, that you, by the grace of God, can still go to heaven and they can't. And they hate you. They hate you with a hatred that you can't imagine. As much as we cannot fathom the love of God as we talked about this morning, we cannot get our minds around the hatred that Satan must have for humanity. And so Satan and his servants are out to exhaust every effort at their disposal to deceive you, to discourage you. Don't show me your hands. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you are discouraged tonight? 
Satan and his servants are out to exhaust every effort at their disposal to deceive, discourage, and ultimately, ultimately, their end goal is to completely destroy you and any attempt that you might make at going to heaven so that you can join them in hell for all eternity. Matthew chapter 25 tells us all about that in verses 41 through 46. Revelation 20 and verse 10 tells us, they tell us about this fire prepared for the devil and his angels and how those who don't belong to God will go there as well. And that's what Satan wants. He doesn't want to be lonely for all eternity. But you see, Satan doesn't want to simply destroy you and deny you going to heaven. That's not it. There's a lot more to his hate. He hates you so much that not only does he want to destroy you, he wants to destroy you slowly, painfully. Destroy you and cause you every ounce of pain and horror and terror and hopelessness along the way that he possibly can. You see, hate, Satan doesn't just hate you. He enjoys hurting you along the way. Satan is cunning. Satan is crafty. Satan is deceptive. And he's powerful. No, he's not as powerful as God, but he's powerful. Look at the world around you and what he's done to it. He's powerful. No human being has ever beaten him with the exception of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. We know this from Romans 3.23, that all have sinned. All have lost the war with him. The first thing I want to do tonight is look at a few terms of description that we see of Satan in the scriptures so that we can see both his power, his personality, and the passionate hatred that he has for you and for me. And if we see those things, we'll understand why it is so vital that we seek God's protection constantly. Open your Bibles with me tonight to Matthew 13, if you would. First off, first name I want to look at of Satan. We're all familiar with the fact that he's called an adversary in 1 Peter 5, 8. Another very similar term is enemy, as we see in Matthew 13. Let us begin following along here as I read in verse 24 of Matthew 13. Another parable, he, that is Jesus, put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. See what the enemy does? Sneaks in under cover of darkness. He's sly, he's cunning, but he's out to destroy that crop. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. You see there this term enemy. As we continue on in Matthew 13, let's go to verse 36, we'll see it again. Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. Jesus makes it very clear that Satan is the enemy. 
The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Jesus talks about the world there, but then Jesus takes this whole this whole illustration to a different level and he talks about even within his own church within his own kingdom and he says the son of man verse 41 will send out his angels and they'll gather out of his kingdom all those that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father he who has ears to hear let him hear and the idea here as we see this growing up side by side in this weeding out the devil is very active in the world but the devil's also going to be active as the enemy in the church causing all of these problems folks when we have problems in the church when we have church splits and all these issues that we see with so many congregations around us, even little petty fights and bickering within, James says, what's the cause of the quarrels among you? It's because somebody's letting the devil get a foothold somewhere along the line. He is the enemy and he's active in the church. He's also described as the devil. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. He's the enemy of all that's good. He's the enemy of the church. And he is out to destroy you. That's why Ephesians 6's admonition is so vital to us today. Beginning at verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on a whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Folks, we don't have a chance against Satan's schemes without the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have any chance of victory against him. None. Unless we have on God's armor. He says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because your enemy is so big and so powerful, and this is what you're fighting against right here. You see, ultimately when we have problems between us, when people have problems between them, Ultimately, Satan is to blame. Our battle's not really against flesh and blood. Our battle is against something much bigger and much deeper, against these spiritual hosts of wickedness. Therefore, 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may, able to, may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, he says, and put on this whole armor. You know, the term devil here is from the Greek word diablos. The word from which we get diabolical. And the term means the most fiendish and heinous sort of evil. That's who our battle's against. It means slanderer, accuser. You ever been accused of something you didn't do? I mean, you know, if you're accused of something you did do, well, I kind of have to deal with that. But did you ever... Just have somebody accuse you relentlessly of something. I, I want you to understand that Satan is an accuser and a slanderer. It's what he does. Not only is it what he does, it's what he is. He's a slanderer. That's his nature. He is an accuser. Remember Job? Job 1 and 2. We're all familiar with the story. Satan is especially an accuser of the faithful. Well, you take down the hedge around him, sure, he, he's right in love with you now, but you take this away from him and he'll curse you to your face. Remember Satan saying that, similar to that in Job 1 and 2? 
He accused him. And he maintained, Satan did, to God, that even Job's fear of God stemmed from his own self-interest. Think about it. We see similar in Zechariah 3 where Unger's New Bible Dictionary says after the exile he would hinder the reinstitution of the divine worship asserting that Israel is rejected by the just judgment of God and is not worthy of the renewal of the priesthood. Turn with me to the book of Zechariah. I'll even give you a minute to get there because we don't usually preach from that but it's right before Malachi which is right before Matthew. Turn to Zechariah 3. And what I want you to see here is the devil is an accuser. He's a slanderer. He's letting them know that, that God's people should not have the priesthood renewed. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1. And of course we know in the Old Testament whenever we see the term the angel of the Lord, it's talking about Christ. We would see that in Exodus 3 and other places. The angel of the Lord as opposed to just an angel of the Lord. So here we are in Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Satan is always going to hurl accusations. Sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're not. And the Lord said to Satan... The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with, clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my command, then you shall judge my house. And likewise have charge of my courts, and I'll give you places to walk among those who stand here. Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. The priesthood here is represented by Joshua, is being cleaned up, being accused by the devil, but being cleaned up by the angel of the Lord. And just as the angel of the Lord intervened on behalf of God's chosen children, then Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, stands before God today when you are accused. He stands as your intercessor. He stands there to give you another chance. He stands there for his blood to continually cleanse you as you are accused, as it were. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. What an awesome God we have. Hebrews chapter 7 says this, beginning at verse 23. As there were, talking about the Old Testament, as we know, Hebrews is a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New. So this contrast here, Hebrews 7.23, As there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing, because he, that is Jesus, 
continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't it an awesome thing to know that as powerful as Satan is, as much as he hates you, as much as he wants to accuse you before God, show that you're not worthy to be in God's presence, that you're not worthy to be in heaven, that even though you're a Christian, you sinned, those sorts of things, whenever these sins come up, isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus is right there to cleanse you? Therefore, he's able to save to the uttermost. I know I just read this, but I love verse 25. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. For as the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Now this, verse 1 of chapter 8, is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Those high priests, even Joshua, did they occasionally sin? Yeah, they were human. But we have a high priest who is perfect and flawless and innocent and holy, and he intercedes, 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. He intercedes for us. He always lives to intercede for us. You know, instead of an accuser and an adversary that we can't beat because we have sinned, Christians have a defender and an advocate before the Father. You know... We have an advocate, call him that, call him a lawyer, call him whatever you will, but he's never lost a case. Jesus Christ has never lost a case, and your case is in his hands. Not only that, but he's got a, really, he's got a real in with the judge. <laughs> the judge is his father. And if he is your advocate, what an awesome thing that is. You can't lose. It would be utter and fatal foolishness and folly to seek to stand before God without Christ, without Jesus Christ's blood, without all that Jesus is. It would be foolishness to stand before God without Christ and face the devil's accusations without the grace of God to cover and cleanse you. Wouldn't that be foolish? What else is Satan besides ultimately powerful? Well, there's several other things the scriptures call him. What is he besides an enemy, an adversary, a slanderer, and an accuser? He's a liar, a deceiver, and a corrupter of God's word. We know from John 8, verses 42 through 47, Jesus said he's a liar and the father of lies. When he, when he speaks lies, he speaks from his own nature. That's what, he, that's what he is. It's not only what he does, that's what he is. 
Satan takes the simple truth of God's holy word out of the minds of those who have heard it sometimes. Matthew 13 and verse 19, the parable of the sower. He'll come right along and he'll take that simple truth that's been spoken and he'll pluck it right out of the heart. Sometimes tries real hard to do the same thing in the church. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul wrote to the church of Christ in 1st century Corinth, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Folks, the New Testament, with a few minor exceptions, is not hard to understand. The Christian faith is really simple. Paul says there's simplicity in Christ. The Lord doesn't even care if we can't count to two. As long as we can count to one, we can pretty well figure it out. There's one Lord, one God, one Savior. But Satan comes in and tries to corrupt that. Another place where Paul addresses this, he goes on in 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, and he says, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. You know, there's so many people today who've bought into the lies. They bought into the slick-sounding lies today instead of accepting the pure and simple truth of God's Word. There's people out there today that think that they can have Christ without His church. Well, I don't want that organized religion stuff. Don't give me the church. Just give me Jesus. We can't have the head without the body. Then there's others, well, church isn't important. Certainly not important enough to go once a week. Folks, look. <laughs> when we understand how much Satan hates us, and the fact that we come to church in order to be strengthened, we come to church in order to shore up our ability to resist the devil who hates us so much. We come to church to learn the things that we need to know in this, this spiritual battleground of the mind so that when we're attacked and tempted, we can do something about it to learn and grow in our faith and to strengthen. We come to church to get our shields strengthened, our swords sharpened, and our armor hardened. We come to church, it's like, coming to church is like a spiritual weapons depot that we come to access every Sunday so that we will have the weaponry to fight this battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places so that we will be able to be better equipped to fight this one who hates us so much and has so much power because without Jesus and the armor and the tools that he gives us, we cannot win this battle. people out there that bought into the lie that baptism has nothing to do with salvation. There are people out there that have bought into the lie that, you know, all worship is is just some worldly entertainment venture with a cross behind it to legitimize it as a spiritual exercise. Satan is so slick and smooth and deceptive that there have been millions of people who will buy the lies and they'll blindly follow that way. While only a few will find that straight and narrow that leads to life. And you know, Satan, that must make him very, very happy. I mean, he's miserable, but it must make him happy in a miserable sort of way. You know why? Because whenever people buy those lies, 
That means that he's going to have plenty of company for all eternity. You know, Satan may be evil and awful and a liar and deceptive and an enemy and all those things, but I can tell you one thing that he won't be for eternity. Lonely. He won't be lonely. He is called other things. He is called the ruler of this world by Jesus in John 12, 31 and other places. He's called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. He's called the dragon 12 times in Revelation 12 and 13. He's called Abaddon in Revelation 9-11. I love that 9-11, that whole, you know, it's easy to remember. Revelation 9-11 means destruction, Abaddon. That name Abaddon means ruin, destruction. The name of the angel prince of the infernal regions, the minister of death and the author of havoc on the earth. He sounds pretty ugly, don't he? Alan Webster wrote in his tract entitled A Decent Devil... Listen to this. It is Satan's goal to wreck every couple's marriage, every person's health, every mind's sanity. It is his goal to wreck every heart's peace, every maiden's virtue, Every friendship's bond, every good work's capability, it is Satan's goal to wreck every servant's ministry, every church's harmony, every sermon's effectiveness, and every soul's destiny. Jesus Christ lives to intercede for us. We read that, right? what he lives for. Hebrews 7 verse 25. Satan lives to wreck and destroy everything we just said. As I read down through that list, it is his goal to wreck every heart's peace. I know there are hearts here tonight that are not at peace, that are troubled. Satan's winning. It is his goal to wreck every friendship's bond, every good work's capability, and every servant's ministry. Listen, as I read those words, I think about so many of you who have reached out with this door knocking and tried to teach people, and you have gotten everything from slam doors to disconnected phones to no to everything else. But I'll tell you what, sure was nice to have visitors this morning, wasn't it? What did Jesus say the price of one soul was worth? All praise and all glory and all honor goes to God for that family that was here this morning. And I want you to join me in praying that they will continue to come and that they will learn about this awesome God that we serve. Because right now, those families and people, that all of them around, that are not in Christ and under God's protection, they're fighting the battle without the armor. They cannot win. They can't win. Let's not let the times that we have been turned down, let's not let Satan win. He's out to wreck every servant's ministry and every good work's capability. We've seen a lot of heartache from this outrage. But are we going to let him win is the question we all have to answer. 
how's he doing with the rest of that? Well, look at what's going on around you. Better yet, maybe some of us need to look at what's going on close to us. Is Satan winning some battles? Yeah, he is. We need to understand who the enemy is and fight back with the swords of God, with the sword of God. Maybe Satan's winning a battle within you tonight. Only you know that. See, Satan is good at what he does. And Satan is invincible against you alone. He's a deceiver and a liar, Genesis 3.1. He instigates doubt and infects our minds to doubt and distrust and disobey the word of God. Oh, how Satan works to get us to doubt it. When God makes us a promise. Oh, how Satan works to try to get into our heads and tempt us, James 1.12-16. Tempt us not to believe God. Well, we say, yeah, I know that's what it says, but no, that's what it says, that's what it means. If Jesus promised us an eternity in heaven with him, don't let Satan make you doubt that. Because if you doubt what God said, that ain't God working on your heart. But Satan is a liar and he'll make you doubt and distrust. He traps and ensnares people, 1 Peter 3, 7. And then he hinders us as we seek to set them free from his traps with the truth of God, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. So often we talk to people <clears throat> and we say, you know, this is, this is something that God can't tolerate. Well, certainly you're not talking to me, you know. You know, you can't be talking to me. Sometimes we talk to people outside the church. Sometimes we talk to people in the church. Well, you can't be talking about me. You know what everybody's favorite sermon is, right? The one that, that applies to everybody else? That's kind of, you know, everybody's favorite sermon or a lot of people's favorite sermon. Folks, we need to look at ourselves because Satan can trap and ensnare and deceive us and get us to doubt when God's trying to knock on the door of our heart and trying to get in there and help us to change and, and become what we ought to become. Satan can make us doubt that that message is for us. Satan inflates foolish pride and ego. He incites envy and jealousy. You know those wildfires that have been burning out in the panhandle in northern Texas here prior to this rain I mean just just boom that's what Satan's trying to do to your relationships he's trying to have envy and jealousy cause them to just burn down like a like a wind-driven wildfire and consume everything in its path that's what he does he hates you that much that's what he's about he seeks to infiltrate and control our minds James 1 he attacks everything that we hold dear. Remember Job. Folks, the bottom line is, to tonight's lesson, Satan is not somebody to be trifled with. He's not somebody that you want to face without the power and the protection and the grace and the love and the mercy and the cleansing of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is not somebody you want to face ever without the full armor of God on. He will eat you up. Few of you have bite marks, don't you? Spiritually speaking, where Satan has just really laid in and caused a lot of pain, probably everybody in this room does. There is a great... In cosmic battle that John saw in this vision in Revelation 12, and I want you to turn there. Revelation chapter 12. 
This great and cosmic battle that John saw in Revelation 12, where in verses 1 through 6, the woman Israel brings forth a Savior. That is God. And look what it says in Revelation 12, beginning at verse 7. After the first six verses tell us about, again, the woman Israel bringing forth the Savior, Christ, or God. Verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Do you suppose that made him happy? He lost this battle and was cast down. Guess where he's real active right now? Right here. You know, I've heard people say, well, people that don't understand the whole biblical timeline, well, you know, it's a good thing, you know, dinosaurs, it must have been awful, those dinosaurs, good thing man didn't live, well, we know man and dinosaurs coexisted, but I, I've heard people say, well, that must have been really, really frightening to, to live in a world where, you know, T-Rex was running around. Let me tell you something that's more frightening when you understand it. It's living on earth where Satan is really active because he's more fierce than any T-Rex you ever saw. But look what it says. Says he was cast down. Verse 9, and then verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Satan's been beaten. Hello. Satan's been beaten. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devils come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Look at verse 12. Satan is, he hates you so much. And he's so active because he knows he's lost. He knows his time is short. He knows that, that he's not going, and he is just thrashing and kicking and biting and devouring and just hates you so much he's out to get you with everything he's got. In verses 13 through 16. God talks about those who are protected by God, but look at verse 17. The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Do not miss verse 13, the one that the dragon is most enraged at, who he's gone to make war with. Who is it? Those who obey God. You are. You are Satan's spiritual enemy number one. You are on top of the list. See these shows, maybe some of you watch some of these shows like NCIS. They got the big board on the wall with all the ten most wanted on it, right? And they'll get this one terrorist or something and Gibbs will go over there and he'll put up a new picture. This one, this one's the one that we're after. This one takes all precedent. This is the one we're after, right? You're on the wall in hell as spiritual enemy number one Satan is enraged and he's gone to make war with you that's why we need the full armor of God that's why it'd be so foolish so foolish to go to war without the full armor of God on you cannot win that battle without Jesus Christ that all begins 
Folks, when we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, in Galatians 3, 26 and 7, say that we are clothed with Christ. We cannot win the battle against sin and Satan, that terrible adversary, that enemy, that, that powerful, terrible, awful, enraged entity, spiritual entity that just deplores us. We can't win that fight without Jesus. If you don't belong to Jesus, you're fighting a fight you can't win. You're fighting a battle you're going to lose. You're fighting against somebody who's going to eat you up. But the beauty of that is, is that Jesus came and Jesus beat him. I want to be with Jesus. And no matter how many sins Satan accuses me of, real or imagined, and says, he's not worthy to go into heaven, guess what? I have a mediator who's never lost a case, and his blood covers my sins, and he stands before the Father day and night to defend me so that I can go to heaven. Can you claim that tonight? Are you a child of God? Are you somebody who has repented of your sins and been baptized into Christ? Maybe you're somebody who's let Satan get just a little bit too much power in your life. You've, done, you've been baptized, you've become a Christian, but maybe he's got a little bit too much power or pull. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's not one of those two things. Maybe it's just that despite your best efforts, he is really destroying the peace that you ought to be experiencing. He's just having a battle with you and he's taking you apart. Your soul is troubled, your heart hurts, your mind is troubled, you feel beaten up. Folks, if that's the case, and there's anybody in this room tonight, make your way to the front here and, and let us pray for you and let us surround you. Let us pray that, that you will be strengthened and that you will put on more of the armor of God. Let us pray for your heart. If you're suffering a wound tonight and it really hurts, understand this, Satan lost. Jesus won. If you need the prayers of the church, or if you need to be baptized into Christ, if we can help you in any way, if you are hurting tonight, please make your way to the front as we stand and sing.